Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So what I want you to do here for just a moment is I want you to think back to when you were a kid growing up. Think back to to your childhood home and to the rules of your house. Every house had rules. There were house, there, every house had a set of household rules. Your parents, your guardians, your grandparents, your foster parents, whoever it was that raised you, they had a set of rules that you had to live your life by inside their house. Uh, for some of us, it was, we had to make our bed, we had to clean our room. My dad told me, I don't know how many times growing up, that the only reason he even had a son was so that he'd have someone to mow his lawn. And so there were these rules set up uh, in our home and in your home. And I know that if you take just a second, you can think of it, right? And there are some rules uh, that on certain occasions you got to fudge on. Okay, we're on vacation. You don't have to make your bed. Okay, you know, grandma's here. You, You don't have to go pick up all your toys right now. But then there were probably rules, maybe just one, But there were probably rules that no matter where you were, no matter what you were doing, no matter who was involved, that rule was always the rule. Come hell or high water, the rules, the rules, the rule. In my house, that rule was called the ma'am, sir rule. As in, when I got asked a question by my parents, the answer was, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, No, sir. Or if an adult of any kind, anybody over the age of 18, if they asked me a question, the response was, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. That, that, and that rule didn't change. It didn't matter if we were at church. It didn't matter if I was at school. It didn't matter if I was on the playground. It didn't matter if we were on vacation. If Mickey Mouse in the costume at Disney World asked me if I want a lollipop, my response to Mickey is, yes, sir. It's just the rules of the house. We had rules, some more important than others. Some you could fudge on, some that you couldn't. In society, we have rules and laws similar to that. A rule that we all follow, or eh, sometimes, uh, is is the law around speeding. How many of you drive? Okay, and you're all speeders. It's just the way that it is. We all, at some time or another, we all speed. Whether it's two, three miles an hour, or some of you, 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. Whatever it is, we all speed. Now, we know that there's a hard and fast rule on what the speed limit is. There is no gray area on the speed limit. The sign on the side of the road says 70 or 55 or 35. It doesn't say 35 to 40. 70 to 77. It doesn't say that. It's, it's, it's got the very clear guidelines. And yet, mm, we all pick and choose at times how much we're going to follow that rule. Right? It's one of those laws to where we're like, yeah, I know if I'm going too fast, the highway patrol is going to get me. But if I'm going four over, am I really, am I really doing anything all that wrong? I think we general, most of us feel that way about speeding. But none of us feel that way about drunk driving. You get, in, you get behind the car impaired, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. It's every time it's wrong. There's never a time when it's not wrong. It's always, always, always wrong. 
And everybody feels that way, that it's always, always, always wrong, that there's never a time when getting behind the car when you've been drinking is not wrong. And we compare those and we say, well, you know, speeding sometimes, okay, you know, I speed a little bit here and there, but I never drive drunk. Because there's just, it's just so much worse. Driving drunk's just so much worse because the consequences could end up being so much worse. That's a law, a rule that we are much more apt to follow and feel much more strongly about than we do speeding. In the book of James, chapter 2, James is having a similar discussion about rules and about laws. And he's talking about it within the conversation of something called the royal law. The royal law is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love everyone else with just as much passion as you love yourself. That's the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it is one of those uh, house laws that are never supposed to be broken. And this is not a new law. This was not a new law. James didn't come up with this. Uh, and his hearers, the, the Jewish Christians that he's writing to in the, in the, the middle of the first century, uh, this was not new to them. The book of Leviticus had expressed this law. And Jesus himself had said in Matthew 22, uh, when, when uh, the Pharisees asked him, what's the greatest commandment? His response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That this was... This was a big law. This was a big deal, uh, a big rule. So much so that Jesus even repeats it a little differently in earlier in Matthew chapter 7, and we call that the golden rule. Well, however you want other people to treat you, treat them that way. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, also do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And it's called the royal law because all of the laws governing all of human relationships and interaction can be folded into it. It is the chief law that makes all other laws make sense and creates a stable society. You won't steal from somebody if you're treating them like you want to be treated. You won't lie to somebody if you're treating them the way you want to be treated. You won't cheat someone if you're showing them the same courtesies that you want them to show you. It is the royal law. And all of the Old Testament Hebrew law and all of the writings of the prophets could be folded into this idea of treat others the way you want to be treated. Love everyone with the same amount of love that you show yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And ultimately, this idea of the royal law becomes the bedrock for ethics in the kingdom of God. It becomes the launch pad, the starting point for how we decide in the kingdom of God how we will treat others and how we will approach the society and world that we're in. That we will love our neighbor as ourself. Loving our neighbor as ourself can be hard, though, especially when we're not very lovable. Because there are times uh, when I am grumpy, and my wife, if she was here, would say amen. She probably heard all the way from Houston and was like, amen, because there are times when I am grumpy and I'm not very lovable. 
And so how do we do it? How do we consistently follow the royal law? How do we choose to love others the same way that we love ourselves over and over and over again? Well, that's what we're going to find out in James chapter 2, starting in verse 8. So let's read that together this morning. James 2, starting in verse 8, going through verse 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. But whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The key to living a life that consistently follows the royal law is choosing mercy over judgment. The key to living a life that consistently lives the royal law is to choose mercy over judgment. James says here that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is better than judgment. And if mercy is a driving force in our lives, then the royal law will be lived and lived out well. It's about mercy. Mercy being better than judgment. But what is it about mercy that makes it such a powerful force? Well, I think James gives us two things. First of all, mercy is unable to show partiality. There is no sign of prejudice in mercy. The concept of impartiality not preferring one person or people group above another, it's, it's really a hard one to swallow at times. And it has been for nearly every culture since the dawn of man. For thousands of years, humanity has separated itself into tribes and said, we are better than they. I like us more than I like them. And so we have created systems and drawn boundary lines on the planet of us and them. Of, of my group, their group. Of people who I like, people who I don't like as much. And Jesus fought hard against the idea of preferential treatment while he was here on earth. He was the one who gave us the golden rule and great commandment as we already said. But he's also the one who taught us parables, like the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Do you know this story? In the Gospels, Jesus talks about a rich man. Doesn't even give his name. It's really not important. So there's a rich man, and then there's a poor man named Lazarus. The poor man named Lazarus lives literally in the ditch outside of the rich man's gates. So he lives right outside uh, his property line. 
And every day when the rich man leaves his home, he has to pass by Lazarus. And then they both die. And Lazarus finds himself in heaven. And the rich man finds himself in hell. And the point that Jesus makes in this story is that the reason the rich man finds himself in hell is because he never showed mercy to the poor man. He didn't love the poor man like he loved himself. He left him out there to brave the elements, to beg for money, to beg for food every day of his life. And as a result, when his life was over, the mercy he had not shown to that man was not shown to him by God. Jesus also told us a story about a man that was beaten as he traveled on a long journey. And he was beaten and he was robbed and he was left on the side of the road. And as he was laying there, bloody and bruised, uh, a rich man walked by, a politician walked by, a priest walked by. And none of them did anything. It was thoughts and prayers, homie. And off they walked. Until along came a Samaritan, which may not mean anything to us, but to them that meant the most unworthy, the most garbage person, a mutt of a race. That's how they would have talked about them. And that Samaritan stopped and helped the person. It was that Samaritan who showed mercy to the man who had been beaten and left for dead. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are expected to be people of mercy and to be impartial. I am not loving my neighbor as myself. I am not choosing mercy if I am making, uh, if I am treating one person better than another. If I'm treating one person better than another for no reason whatsoever or for superficial, stupid, sinful reasons, I'm not living the royal law. I'm making a judgment call. I am judging this person to be more important than this person. And so if I'm treating a rich person better than a poor person, if I'm treating a black person worse than I'm treating a white person, if I'm treating a man better than I'm treating a woman, if I'm treating a Christian better than I'm treating a Muslim, if I'm treating a citizen better than I'm treating an immigrant, just because of those things, then I'm not living according to the royal law. I am not loving my neighbor as myself. As a matter of fact, I'm probably loving the neighbor I am most like or the neighbor I like the most. Or what I'm doing is I'm showing love to the person that I think can do things for me. And that's not love, that's manipulation. I'm manipulating people and making a judgment call based on my selfishness instead of my Christ-likeness. Because I'm treating someone not the way that I would want them to treat me. And that's not the way of Jesus. That's the way of the world. Anyone can do that. Anyone can treat the mayor's son well. Anyone can treat a rich woman well. Anybody uh, can be nice to the homecoming king. 
Anybody can go out of their way to serve their boss if what they're really wanting is to get their attention so they get a raise. The question is, can you show mercy to the coworker who eats alone every day? To the kid at school whose parents are in jail? To the poor person that stands at the same street corner you drive past every day? Is there mercy for those people? So don't treat people better than others. Try to show mercy to everyone you can. Not out of guilt and not out of duty, but out of love and compassion for your fellow man. Mercy is unable to show partiality. Mercy chooses to treat people the way you want to be treated. But the second thing that makes mercy better than judgment and makes it such a powerful force is that it's undeserved. Mercy is undeserved. In our passage that we read in James chapter 2 this morning, James makes a really interesting comment and a really interesting comparison in verses 10 and 11. I want us to look back at those again. He says this, For whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Have you ever thought around along these lines? Have you ever thought this way about anything? Well, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as bad as that girl at work, or I'm not as bad as that guy at school. I'm, I'm not as bad as that guy. Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever thought, you know, I know I don't do everything perfect, but at least I've never dot, dot, dot. Never stole a car, never robbed a bank, never murdered anybody. I know I'm not perfect, but never done that, so I'm really not that bad. This is the mindset that James is talking about. The idea that I can diminish how bad the things that I have done are by comparing them to what someone else has done or what I could have done instead. This is what James is talking about here. I make myself feel better. I make myself feel more deserving of mercy and understanding by comparing myself to someone or something that was worse. I'm not as bad as that person, or at least I didn't do that. Here's the problem with that kind of thinking. The same God that says, and this is what James says, the same God that says, do not commit adultery, also says, do not commit murder. Whichever law I break, the law is still broken. Whether I commit armed robbery or I commit murder, I am still a felon. I have still fallen short of the glory of God. 
the law is still broken. God's rules are still broken. And it doesn't matter if I fall short a little bit or a lot of bit, I'm still short. And in God's eyes, my lesser bad thing is still too much bad thing. And this is why Jesus said that hate is still murder in your heart and lust is still adultery. To God, whether you lust after someone not your spouse or actually go have an affair with them, you still have much to be forgiven of. You can't say to yourself, I'm just going to hate this person, but I'm never actually going to do anything to them. And that be okay with God. Either way, you're not okay before God. And in both scenarios, you are not deserving of mercy. Your lesser bad thing does not make you more deserving of mercy. God gives mercy because He is good, not because I am good. God loves because He is love, not because I'm lovable. And this doesn't mean to say that we're of, we, we as a people are of no value or have no worth, but our value and our worth are found in His value and in His worthiness. We are beautiful, we are wonderful because He has made us beautiful. He has given us value. Our worth is is found in His and based in Him. And this is why we show others mercy without qualification. Because when we were still sinners, Christ did that for us. When I had done nothing to deserve it, Christ came and gave mercy to me without qualification or reason that I had done. Christ left heaven. He lived on earth. He lived a sinless life and showed us the way. He died in our place, became victor over death, rose again so that we can have resurrection life, and ascended to heaven so that we can be there one day as well. And we didn't deserve any of it. But out of His great mercy, He died for us. He poured out undeserved grace to us. Out of His goodness, He freely and lavishly pours mercy on us each and every morning. The Scriptures say His mercies are new every day. And He shows us that mercy is better than judgment. And now, as followers of Jesus, we get to do the same. To choose mercy instead of judgment. And that is a choice. But let's get real about it and let's speak honestly about it uh, for a moment and honestly about ourselves and look inside of ourselves to our very cores and ask these kinds of questions. And without a show of hands, I just want you to think about this type of question. How many times have maybe we said things like, you know, black people are just lazy. Or gay people are gross. Or Muslims, they're all terrorists. Or all women do is nag. How many times have we said things like that? We made judgment calls instead of showing mercy. Every bit of that is judgment. 
judgment that we have placed on other people. And Christ expects us to replace it with mercy. Mercy because He gave us mercy when we deserved it. Not to mention the fact that every one of those statements are a lie. Every one of those things are a lie. But even if they were true, it's also true that once you were a liar... And once you were a racist and a thief and an adulterer and a gossip, and yet God was still merciful to you. God still showed that mercy to you. Because mercy is undeserved. It is unearned. And it's better than judgment. And yet God pours it out on us freely. Look at verse 12 with me quickly as I come to a close. It says this, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. When we come to the end of this life, friends, and Christ returns to set up His eternal kingdom with us here on earth, there will be a day of judgment for those who have been saved by God's grace. And on that day, we're not going to stand before God and have all of our sins replayed on a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad PowerPoint for everybody to see all the dumb, sinful things that we did in our lives. That's not what that day will be about. All of our sins and all of our shames have already been taken care of in Christ on the cross. So that's not what that day is about for us. What will be addressed that day is whether or not when we came to know Jesus, we chose to live a life of mercy and let it triumph over judgment in our lives. Did we give mercy to those around us? Were we people of second chances and third chances and ninth chances? Did we treat everyone we came across with the same love as everyone else? Were we full of mercy. I don't know about you, but I want to stand before God that day and let the record show proudly that I was a person of grace that showed others mercy in the same amounts and ways that God showed me. That I lived my life following the royal law. After all, If I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, I have to remember that love is nothing more than choosing mercy instead of judgment. So here's my challenge to us today. My challenge to you today is this. Speak and act as somebody who will be judged under the law of liberty. Speak and act to the people in your life with mercy. Show them the mercy that Christ has shown you. Give them the grace that Jesus has given you. Speak and act to your friends, your family members, your neighbors and co-workers in such a way that mercy overflows and they know that you are speaking God's grace to them. Because first and foremost... He was merciful and gracious to you. Let's pray. God of mercy, 
God of grace. Today we stand in awe of your goodness. Realizing that as good as we could possibly be, we would never deserve the mercy that you show us, the grace that you give us. And so God, we first of all pause and say thank you for pouring out your mercy on us, for choosing not to kill us and send us to hell, but to send us and mercy, to pour out mercy on us today. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and give us strength to show mercy to those around us. For us to choose mercy and not judgment. For us to love our neighbors as ourselves. For us to be as merciful with them as we hope they would be with us. And as we leave this place today, walk with us in your work. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.